Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. As clinicians, we spend a decade or more as trainees learning to take care of patients. When we finally start our careers, we want to build research programs, but then we find that our years of clinical training did not adequately prepare us to lead a research program. Through no fault of our own, we struggle to find mentors, and when we can't, we quit. However, clinicians hold the keys to the greatest research breakthroughs. For this reason, the Clinician Researcher podcast exists to give academic clinicians the tools to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. Now, introducing your host, Teosi Onwemina. Welcome to the Clinician Researcher Podcast. I am your host, Tracy and Wemina. I'm excited to be here today because I have a really amazing host on the show, Dr. Jerry Bloomfield. Jerry, welcome to the show. Hey, Tracy. Thanks for having me. So, Jerry, you are, I would call, what I would call an esteemed clinician scientist. And you may not feel that way. And I feel, I find this to be the trend. Most people just don't feel like they're distinguished, but they are, you are. And I wonder if you would just introduce yourself to our audience with regard to your role as a clinician scientist and how you came to be here. Thanks, Toyosi. You're you're too kind. My name is Jerry Bloomfield. I am an associate professor with tenure in the Department of Medicine in the Division of Cardiology. I'm a clinical cardiologist, and I do all the things that academic cardiologists do, the, the tripartite mission, clinical research, education. I also have a role within the the Duke Global Health Institute, where I'm the associate director for research, which ties into what I do as a clinician uh, investigator, um, which is predominantly in in the global health space. Uh, And and global health doesn't always mean international health, uh, but uh, most of my research portfolio is um, in low and middle-income countries as well as doing research in impoverished, under-resourced areas of the U.S., particularly in the U.S. South. Uh, I've been at Duke for, I think, 16 years now. Four of those were during my cardiology fellowship. And yeah, like, like most clinician investigators, just keep, keep trying to put shots on goal. Wow. So I feel like I've already learned something from you, Jerry. You talk about global health not always being international work. Could you speak more about that? Absolutely. The field of global health has evolved tremendously over the last few decades, mostly in terms of what our understanding of, of global health is. So we no longer really talk in terms of international health, We don't really talk in terms of tropical medicine. You know, there's a lot of, you know, old connotations aren't really relevant as much. And even if our our initial understandings of global health, you know, that term really became popular, I'd say in the early 2000s, early 2010s, where global health, as as I understand it, and, and as I involve it in my research, is really a methodology of your research that addresses the health inequities for populations who who are who have historically you know been under-resourced or are experiencing worse health outcomes. On a global scale, 
that occurs in low and middle income countries. That's, I mean, that, that's, that's just, you know, that's sort of at the front door. However, even within higher income countries or upper middle income countries, as we know, let me take the U.S. as an example, there are, you know, gross disparities, gross differences in certain regions um, and, and other ways that we sort of slice and dice society. So global health to me is really um, research that addresses um, vulnerable populations um, and doing things to, 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 to mitigate some of these barriers to, to better health. Thank you, Jerry. I, I really appreciate you shedding light on that perspective. And that really does make sense in terms of it's global. And so if you look at it from the U.S. perspective, you might want to think of it as internationally. But if we think about the whole the whole world, it really is. It's global from that perspective, which which is cool to think about. Now, many, many people want to get into global health research and and find it to be difficult. So I'd love you to talk about your journey and how you came to be a researcher in the global health space and, and how other people potentially could think about it as they're interested in it. Yeah, my journey is a, is a circuitous one full of providence and, and serendipity. I'll give you the short truncated version. I knew I wanted to be a cardiologist from back when I was in internal medicine residency. Because of my background and upbringing, uh, my parents were immigrants to, to the U.S. in the 1960s. I already, always had a, a global view of the world and global view of health. But during med school in the late 1990s, early 2000s, there was really no great model of how one incorporated international health, which was a term at the time, and, and, and cardiovascular disease. That changed for me when a friend of mine who had graduated residency a few years before me went to work in Kenya as, as a missionary doctor. It's the early 2000s, and he went to Kenya to uh, treat HIV in, in a mission hospital. And after working there for a few years, he said, Jerry, you got to come out and uh, see, see what life is like out here, see uh, what we're seeing and how we're practicing medicine. So this was in 2003. And I tell you, Toyosia, you know, I, I went out to Kijabi, Kenya, the city I was working at at the time. This is back before we had, you know, smartphones and things like that. I went with a stack of up-to-date articles on treating all of the worms and all the infections and the manifestations of TB, expecting that that's what I would be treating in, in this um, small hospital. But in fact, honestly, what I spent most of my time doing uh, that summer of 2003 was treating hypertension diabetes, and heart failure in a very uh, remote part of Kenya. So that started to put some connections in my mind to say, well, you know, here I am with a passion for cardiovascular disease and CBD risk factor issues. And here's a, a place where, you know, someone like me could partner with, with other Kenyan physicians to actually do something about this burden. What really you know, sort of, you know, made, made this fit for me. What really sort of sparked a passion for me uh, for this was the fact that uh, the patients who were having these conditions, they had no idea what they were. They didn't have the, the terminology for them, much less did we have medicines. And even uh, physicians, did, you know, this, they weren't attuned to cardiovascular diseases. So flash forward many years, 
I, you know, came to Duke for cardiology fellowship. I applied for some fellowship grants, worked with mentors to apply for, for larger grants to uh, start a cardiovascular research program to understand what's causing all of these cardiovascular diseases in low and middle income countries, specifically in Kenya. So that's what, what got me started in it. Now, what's beneficial for folks who are interested in global health and cardiovascular disease these days is that, you know, we're, we're, we're 20 years on from that. So everyone or most people are aware of the global burden of disease, the global burden of cardiovascular disease. So the fact that 70 to 80% of all cardiovascular disease deaths occur in low and middle income countries where we've made great strides in decreasing CVD deaths in the U.S., in many parts of the world, that curve is actually on the upswing. Uh, so there are a lot of opportunities, both NIH-funded, uh, both um, uh, foundation-supported. And I have a lot of colleagues who use their non-professional time to go abroad to some place where they have partners and, and an opportunity to use their skills. So I'd, I'd say you know there are a lot of roads into global health these days. And I, I continue to use the academic route and, and the clinician investigator route that's really, really amazing. And thank you for sharing. What a remarkable story. I am curious to know, you talk about partners, and I think it is important as we think about doing this work globally, especially outside of the United States, where there's a concern that researchers go and they do research in a different country and then they come back home and the benefit yeah. of the research may not accrue to the places in which they've done the research. Can you speak right. to what some of those partnerships look like in terms of bringing the benefit back to those communities? You know, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, parachute research. I mean, my goodness, that's, we have so many examples of that, both in, in the cardiac space, in the HIV care space, um, just a, re a, real, a real travesty. I, I think the way you get around that is making sure that you are not bringing a solution, looking for a problem. Mm. That's really important for people coming from the U.S. specifically who haven't engaged in global health research. There's often, well, I have this new tool or I have this new app, or if only folks would do this, then, then things would change and health would be better. What's really been instructive for me is really taking the time to listen. Uh, so it took me a few years of working in Kenya to really realize that um, I had only scratched the surface of what some of the, the health system issues were, what some of the issues that patients and families faced. You know, why is it that, you know, nurses weren't checking blood pressures in, in, in a particular hospital I was visiting? Well, that's because the ratio was one to 30. What do you expect, you know, the, these people to do, you know, in the middle of the night and one person gets, gets really sick? So I think it, it time is, is the real factor there and actually getting to know your partners and, and, and listening and sometimes just injecting a little bit of silence into the conversation and let that silence leave room for your partners to, to chime in too. Thank you for sharing that perspective. I think, I think it is really important to, even if we're not involved in global health research, to think about how our work serves the people that we are, are, are working with in the research endeavors that we continue and, and how listening is so important in, yeah. in anything we do, really. I wonder if you can speak to kind of how can 
How now you got into research and global health? It sounds like at the level of being a resident. Let's say you are interested in this from from being a med student. What are opportunities potentially that exist for medical students, or how early can can people get involved? Yeah, that that's a, that's a great great question. I think there are a lot of opportunities for medical students. Number one, I would say that a lot of programs, and I'm going to focus on the on the resident level for a second, but but I think that is that is an indicator for medical students for whether or not there will be opportunities for you. A lot of residency programs now offer a global health track or a global health interest, and that can be anything from six weeks abroad to a whole year abroad plus clinical research experiences. So for, for medical students, if your institution offers a global health residency option, that probably means that there are trainees and faculty and administrative staff who are thinking about work abroad. So that's a place where you could plug yourself into. There are other programs out there actually from the NIH for, for medical students. Uh, so there is a, a Fogarty um, Global Health uh, scholars program. Uh, there's also a Fogarty Fulbright program, and they have different eligibility criteria for various stages in training. But but there are those two programs from the NIH plus the the residency programs around the country. I think are really great opportunities for students to plug into. There are also private foundation opportunities, and and they sort of come and go. So I, I don't feel like I have a, a good grasp on all of them. But there are also um, private foundations that will that will support medical students. But but I, but I would say you know if your institution um, has a global health residency or faculty that are doing global health, that's usually a good place to start. I like that. I appreciate what you're saying. It's that if people are already doing this work, it's a sign that there is a way to support the work. And so perhaps it might be more challenging to go to an institution where no one, no one is doing work in, in global health research. It might be harder, not impossible probably to get started, but just thinking about what opportunities already exist and kind of going with the momentum of that as well. And, and you know, Toyose, I mean, that actually relates to advice that I give cardiology fellow applicants sort of at a different stage in, in the game where you want to go, to, if, if you're interested in global health as part of your career, you really want to be at a place where you won't be the only one. Mm. And I remember when I was applying to, for fellowship way back when being told things like, well, we've never done this before, would be, would, but we'd be happy to support you and we'll open doors for you and we'll support this or we'll support that. It was very much appreciated. But if you step back, you 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 realize that you know that that's really a program or, or support a, around you. Well, what you really want is a program that's supporting the idea, mm-hmm. supporting the theme, supporting global health generally. So I, I would urge um, folks at any stage in their training to aim for a place where there are other people um, engaged in global health, and that there is a well-oiled machine, that there is a, a, continue using analogies, that there is a steam engine that is moving in a good direction that you can um, join on to, but, but you're not having to lay down the tracks. That's what we did a couple of decades ago. No, that's awesome. What I hear you speak about is really the power and the importance of community. And you, as much as a lot of maybe our earlier training felt like a solo endeavor, it was never really solo. 
the, it it becomes more important as you're moving from the fel- the medical student to resident to fellow and to faculty transition to really be part of a community that's engaged because then you're able to gather a lot more resources and, and your chances of been, being successful are much higher. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one thing that comes to mind is that many people who are interested in global health research are interested for a reason. For, you know, you talk about having your your parents or immigrants and you but and there are many many trainees or early faculty who say well I have roots in a certain country or I have connections to a certain country how do you recommend they address that where perhaps there is global health research ongoing at their institution but not not necessarily targeted to the country of interest yeah you know I've I've learned a lot about that you know I have a lot of conversations with folks who who have that exact same story or that interest. Uh, and what I've learned from from those colleagues is, you know, often your, you know, sort of your childhood experiences uh, in, in a particular country are very different from your country as uh, your experience as a physician. And so uh, oftentimes people say, you know, I, I, I grew up in X, I'd love to go back and, and do something on the medical side, but don't really have a great sense of what the healthcare system is mm-hmm. currently and how the healthcare system works uh, and who the right partners are. So those are all places that I encourage people to to start to understand, well, you know, w- well, what is the, the condition you're interested in? You know, what is the approach? Who who are the partners? And I think if if one thing that that's really where it starts are who are the partners, and if you're having to find and and develop partners, that's great. That clearly takes more time, um, but I would really start with partners, and and partner as as you said, Toyosi, partners in the true sense of partnership, not just you know I I know the CEO of this particular hospital, so we can do these great things, but I actually speak with people, you know, do some focus group work, you know, have some, you know, get on Zoom or, or chai or coffee or something and say, well, wh- what is it that me as, as, as whatever type of professional, what can I bring to the table? What can I do to, to help this, this environment? So I think that the partnership is, is one. And, and that's a, a great um, rationale for, again, if an institution has ongoing partnerships, they have a relationship with somewhere already that that's a great place to start because a lot of those formative questions have already um, been answered. And I guess the, the last thing I'll say, it, you know, this might be for folks who are, you know, maybe earlier on in their careers is regardless of the site that you're engaged in, the methodology for global health um, research is what's most important. And once you have that methodology, once you have that experience, you can transport that to uh, you know, a country of your choosing. Um, but um, if, if you can't do that yet, I would say irrespective of where you work, it's really the the experience, the methodology, the, that, you know, the the hard knocks of learning, you know, partnership and, and sustainability. And, and once you sort of get start to get that under your belt, you can transport that anywhere. I love it. I hear you saying in that, don't be so fixated on one country that you miss what the goal of starting is all about is and, and, and the importance of having a moving train that you can jump on so that you can learn all the methodology that's necessary. And so as much as you may have a goal of a certain country, 
you really want to think about where where is where are the resources already in already available and how can I get my feet wet, so to speak, and then ultimately as a more senior person, be able to look specifically at different countries. Is that fair to say? I, I think so. And and I think the so the the other side of, of that coin is as you know, as if if you're someone from you know or from another country or have roots in a country that you want to go back and 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 work in and 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 partner with and serve, oftentimes you know you have the the ears that that someone not familiar with the country you know would would never have, and so you know whether whatever the connections are you know often those connections with leaders those you know folks in in influential ministries you know public health officials professional societies, you know, those connections, that is really the the connective tissue between global health research and implementation. You know, so we're, 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 I think in academic medical centers, we're great on the research side, but, you know, oftentimes, you know, it takes someone who knows the country intimately to say, well, how do we move these findings into practice? And so I think that is a strength that a lot of people uh, who are who have international roots bring to the table to to bridge that practice gap, knowing folks who can actually take these things to 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 people. Sure, sure. So I'm hearing that methodology is important, but re- relationships are important as well. Yeah, yeah. And this leveraging the strengths of those relationships to move research forward is important as well. Yeah, excellent, absolutely. All right, Jerry, one of the things I, I am hearing, it, it almost sounds as if this has been really easy. It's been a walk in the park. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the challenges, especially the biggest challenges along the journey. Oh, boy. <laughs> I hope I haven't presented this as, as easy. It's certainly fun, but it has not been easy. You know, I'll, you know, I'll speak, you know, honestly, global health, especially in cardiology, it's still a relatively small field. I think the, you know, the, 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 the 10 or, or, or a dozen of us who are really engaged in this, we all know each other and then have similar stories of, of trying to get these, get our careers off the ground. One of the big challenges actually was, and, and I think this challenge actually is, is sort of irrespective of field you know, because I think a lot of us, as, as we get older, we develop a, a niche, something that we're really passionate about and that distinguishes us. And in my case, that niche of global cardiovascular health was a niche that initially was, was thought as, as, as too niche, was thought as, you know, not relevant, not significant. The, the, the career pathway was undefined. And as you know, as, as, as a mentor, if you have a mentee whose career pathway you can't, you know, line up the the building block to see where this leads to success, that's going to give you some anxiety. You might caution them to, you know, to do other things. And that's what I experienced in in my trajectory and in my career development was that struggle to say, like, this is something I am passionate about. This is something I have a little bit of experience with, but I need the mentorship and the institutional support to actually take me to the next level. Uh, and that was a challenge. And, and those things are critical, as, as you know. Um, and so it took time um, and it took um, external validation uh, to speak in terms of 
speak in terms that my mentors would understand that this was a valid field. And, and that's the, you know, the, the coin of the realm, the academic, you know, currency were, were, were publications and, and grants. And so getting a few of those out early and getting some few successes early made it easier for mentors to say, okay, well, maybe there's actually something here. Mm, I appreciate what you said. And, and you're right. It applies to so much more than just global health research. It's the sense that when you have an idea of really burning passion and people don't see the way forward, having that external validation is helpful in having grants and publications is important as well. You know, one of the things I've found, and, and perhaps this is just in hematology, but sometimes, especially at the fellow stage, trainees don't tend to understand how important it is to get funding because, you know, it's, it's, not, it's never free, but it seems like being able to do research and residency is free. It's like if you, if you get grants or you don't get grants, you still get to do your work. I wonder if you want to speak to why it's important for those early funding opportunities and those early awards and, and how, how young faculty or young trainees might want to think about it. Yeah, it's, it's critical. It's so critical. So there's the, the funding in and of itself which allows you to do things that you're passionate about. I think that external validation piece is also critical because as your name gets talked about um, higher and higher up the chains, um, people speak in terms that they, that they understand and that di they digest. So, you know, getting, you know, good scores on grants or getting fellowship grants or even, even you know, foundation grants, you know, the, the amount is, is really irrelevant. It's really just showing that there is some external validation that there is that there's potentially a, a future here, and I would say, and so you know something I didn't appreciate at the time when I was a fellow in training, but another really important reason to start to write grants um, early in your career, if you see yourself being in an academic career, is that you need the practice. Mm. You need the practice. Um, and, and you, you only get better, um, writing grants as with anything else in life with practice. Um, and, and I, I, I really benefited from some of the institutional resources, you know, to, for like, so from, for some friendly peer review and various things that I know exist at many institutions to make sure that, that your grant writing is superb. So, so use the practice because you, you, you need it. Maybe you'll realize later on that you need it, but, but you certainly do need it. Absolutely. So when, when, when the risk, when the, what, what, what is the term? When, when it seems less risky, it's probably most important to practice because if you fall, it's still okay. But you're right because it's, it's kind of like I, I think about it in terms of when you start your first year of fellowship at a new institution and you don't even know where the bathrooms are. How can you? How can you do a good, a good consult? You just don't even know where you're going. And so I think it's the same way with writing grants, where the more you write it, the more all those things fall away. You can really focus on the science that you're, you're um, presenting. That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I wonder for someone who maybe they finished fellowship and they didn't have those opportunities that you talked about, and now they are junior faculty, really now trying to move their career forward. Is it ever too late to get involved in global health research? And if not, how do you recommend people like that move forward? Yeah, great, great, great question. So no, I, I don't think it's too late. Not at all. I, I think we, and you know, I'll just be philosophical for just, just for a second. 
I think that is one of the benefits of, of, of the academy. You know, one of the things that we benefit from is the ability to, to, to change our minds, our ability to you know, have, have time to have you know, a little bit of mental space to say, what is it that I'm passionate about? It's, it honestly is, it's, it's a blessing that not every career offers where you can say, how am I going to derive joy and, and passion and, and satisfaction from what I do? So that, that's an opportunity that we have. And, and I think if someone is feeling that global health um, should be more central in their career, you, you, you should go for it. Now, you know, <laughs> you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So you're going to have to put in the time and the effort <laughs> to, to be successful, um, especially if this is a departure from something you've done before. And you're going to have to show that the credibility, show the, that, that stick-to-itiveness, uh, that passion. You're going to have to show that you can do it, but it's absolutely not too late. Again, at, especially at, at an institution where others are involved in global health, I, I think it's, it's an easier on-ramp. But, but here's where I also say one, one thing that is not unique to global health, but it's certainly characteristic of global health, is this idea of team science and this idea of, of collaboration. By very nature of the fact that my research, most of my research occurs in another country, that means that I, I have a, at least one partner, and I actually have many, uh, who are working with me on these on these projects? So multiple PI relationships, you know, two, three, or four multiple PIs uh, relationships. Those are critical. And and if you're starting out in global health research, you know, maybe you're a co-investigator on a project. Maybe you're you're testing the waters as much as your potential collaborators are testing the waters. So I, I, I don't think it's too late, but, but, but I do think there are a lot of different ways to, to get engaged. I love it. I appreciate you saying that because I think in, in all things, and you said it, it isn't unique to global health, it's what do you want to do? What is it that you are most passionate about and how can you work to move it forward? And, and really sometimes that's thinking creatively as far as how do you fund it? Who are the partners already engaged? How do you connect with them in moving forward? So thank you. Thank you for sharing that perspective. Yeah, great. So we have come to the end of the show, and I'm curious to know if there's one thing that I haven't asked about that you feel is important to share with our audience. I think the one thing that has been in my mind, you know, of late is a conversation I had with a mentee of mine, and we were talking about, you know, meeting those academic milestones and, and, and going on the promotion and tenure pathway and how we are judged and measured uh, along those, those ways. And, you know, we, we had a conversation about success and significance. And I think, you know, my, my own approach is, you know, success, sometimes that's externally defined. You know, you've gotten this number of publications, these number of grants, you've become full professor, you're your dean or this or, or whatever, whatever it is, you know, those are externally defined. Th those are all great things. Those are all good things. Those are, that's the world we live in. But, but I think it's not the same thing as significance. And I do think that those circles do overlap significantly, but, you know, I was encouraging my, my, my mentee, you know, to, you know, as we do the successful things, as we make our way through the APT process and we progress, you know, those are all good things. 
just to, you know, define for yourself what significance means. Define for yourself, you know, what is it that's going to keep me up late at night or wake me up early in the morning that, that I'm joyful about? You know, what is it that's going to, you know, make me have to be away from my family, you know, sometimes when I'd rather be with them? What's drawing me to do that? And just remember significance. I, I think that's, that's, that's a good anchor. I appreciate you saying that. I like that significance. And I think that's what we inherently, innately are shooting for as physicians, especially who who are doing this thing as scientists. I wonder, and I wonder if maybe there might be a lot of this sometimes with especially early career folks who don't necessarily understand the metrics for success. To what extent is it possible to have significance without success? You know, I think that's very possible. I'm not sure it's possible in academic medicine, given the way our, our current environment is, is set up. But, but I think, you know, my, you know, my true north is, is significance. And, and I think if you're doing excellent work, I think if you're doing things that you're passionate about, you know, the, the success will follow. I'm not saying that it's easy and that it's not that it's automatic. You know, I'm, you know, I, I stay up late and I, and I sometimes unfortunately work on a weekend when, you know, but, but I think if you aim for significance and if you're using sound methodology, I think success will follow. Mm. I, yeah, I do believe to, to a great extent there's overlap. I think also recognizing your environment because you talked about, you know, whether you're doing that within academic medicine and in recognizing your environment and recognizing what those metrics are then it's, you're, you're able to align what you're doing with the metrics so that as you are pushing for significance, you're addressing all the other things as well. Yes. Because you certainly can do that outside of academic medicine, but you're, if you're going to stay within academic medicine, then it's, it's worth understanding what the currency of the, of the environment is and, and making, trying to work, to, working to overlap the two. wonder if you want to speak some more to that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, you, you, you can't ignore one for the other. And so, you know, again, if, if we're talking about the way academic medicine is currently, you know, we, we have an APT system that, that's fairly ingrained. As, as, as you know, you know, our institution is starting to think more broadly about, you know, types of scholarship and, and how, we, how we judge scholarship. Many institutions are. But I, I think, you know, it's, you know, if, if promotion, if success in, in academia is part of what you're aiming for, you know, there, there are just certain metrics you have to um, be cognizant of while you also aim to do significant things in this world. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's being aware and um, savvy about your environment. I love yeah. it. I love it. Well, Jerry, thank you. You've shared some amazing insights. I want to thank you for coming on the show. So say it was my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. All right, everyone, you've heard Dr. Bloomfield. He's given us some really important insights, especially with regard to thinking about global health research. If you can think of somebody else who needs to hear about this, please forward this episode. And we look forward to talking with you again next time on the Clinician Researcher Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Clinician Researcher Podcast, where academic clinicians learn the skills to build their own research program, whether or not they have a mentor. If you found the information in this episode to be helpful, don't keep it all to yourself. 
someone else needs to hear it. So take a minute right now and share it. As you share this episode, you become part of our mission to help launch a new generation of clinician researchers who make transformative discoveries that change the way we do health.